who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? Well, hopefully you're here because you know the answer is no one. Um, so that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. So the reading is from John chapter 3. Um, and I'll keep reading till I stop um, because we could, we could take the whole chapter or we could just take uh, a section. So John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And if we were to skip to verse 36, this whole section concludes with, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So, Bjorn again. Yes, I did go and see them at the Albert Hall, and it was amazing. If you don't know who they are, they are an ABBA tribute band. Um... Now, of course, the thing about a tribute band is it is a replica. It's not a repeat. It's not being renewed and it's not being changed. It's trying to mimic what was. Born again is something quite different. It means renewal and transformation, moving away from what is to what is meant to be. Now, a couple of weeks ago at the Revival Prayer on a Wednesday night, uh, Mick raised a question. When we preach, we don't know if those 
we speak to are born again. And he's right. How many of us are truly born again? What in fact does that mean? And how can we be born again and what difference will it make? Well, firstly, here's a quote from uh, Rachel Hilson, who wrote a book called Born Again This Way. And Rachel Hilson is same-sex attracted, an evangelical Christian who writes powerfully about her understanding both of her desires and her calling. Our culture sings that we're born this way, as if that settles the matter. But I'm born again. My life has told a different story than what society expects from me and what I expected for myself, because God himself has written his own twists and turns into the narrative. Unexpected blessings that are more powerful, more lovely than anything I could have imagined in my former life. I want to show you, this is a later quote, I want to show show you that Jesus is beautiful, powerful and worthy right at the heart of this conversation, right at the heart of our sexuality. He is not scared or unsettled by anything. And if we are rooted in him, we can be people of power and love and self-control. This is what I want for myself and what I want for you. I'm not writing as a polished product, standing behind the finish line, clapping for you with the medal already around my neck. I'm right with you, sometimes stumbling, often aching, but also running with joy. Now, tonight's talk is not about sexuality, but that happened to be the context of that quote. And I just loved that vision of that desire for the person of Jesus. We talked last time we had, no, it was when we had the 1426 about the soul and about how the soul is the part of us that longs for God. Mm. Can't, it, it can't live with being separated from God. And I think that shines out of that quote, the joy and the love that this person has for Jesus. All because she's born again. So, I said at the beginning that all, all of the plaudits for this evening go to Tim Keller, so you can blame him. It is a 53-minute talk. You can Google it at, and, and get the full, the full Monty. This is my pricey version of what Tim Keller said. It is a brilliant sermon on John 3. Um, now, he starts by saying it could be a very short sermon. It wasn't. But it, he starts by saying it could be a very short sermon because he looks to the um, gravestone of the Reverend John Berridge. Um, Charles Simeon took the, uh, took the funeral and um, is in a, the churchyard in Everton, somewhere near Bedford. And this is what it says. Here lie the earthly remains of John Berridge, late vicar of Everton. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without the new birth. I was born in sin in February 1716, remained ignorant of my fallen state until 1730, lived proudly on faith and works for salvation until 1754, was admitted to Everton Vicarage, the pastor there, 1755, fled to Jesus alone for refuge, 1756, fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd. 1793. 
And Tim Keller in his talk says, I could leave it there um, because it says it all. Mm. Um, of course, this person recognised their need to be born again as an essential feature of their salvation. So we're going to answer several questions tonight. Who's it for? How does it happen? How do I know that it has happened? So firstly, who's it for? Well, the answer is everyone. Because the quote from Jesus says, no one enters the kingdom. No one can see the kingdom without being born again. So it must be for everyone. And it's no matter how together we have it or how messed up we are, it's everyone. Nicodemus doesn't fit any bill of the stereotypes that people might think of when they hear the, ver- hear the phrase, born again Christian. You know, it's either somebody terribly moral or it's somebody who has got a bit of a, a, you know, a, a, a broken background or, you know, there's all sorts of things that come to mind when people hear born again Christian. When in fact, it should be all of us. Nicodemus um, made himself vulnerable. He was open to new ideas and he should have known. We see that in the narrative, that he should have known what Jesus was talking about because he was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the teachers. But even he needed to be born again. So it's something that applies for everyone. Where does it come from? Well, here's an interesting uh, kind of perspective on it. It comes from the future. We look to Revelation for the new creation. That is the power to transform completely. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. We only see through a glass darkly. We only see part of that. It's part fulfilled. But it's the same power brought into our lives today. So where we know the story ends is what comes into our lives today by being born again. Comes through that new birth. To Nicodemus, the kingdom was yet to come. It was a future where the Messiah would come and the dead would be resurrected. He was, after all, a Pharisee, not a Sadducee. And we see in Matthew 19, verses 28 to 29, at the renewal of all things on Jesus' lips. And it's the word palingenesia. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And in Titus 3, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's that same Greek word. And it was, a, it was an idea, a Greek a philosophical idea of a regeneration of all things. It's a bit like a cosmic Doctor Who, you know, <laughs> where Doctor Who always regenerates and you get a new actor who takes on the part. Um, and so the, 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 there was a Greek philosophy that understood that everything just kind of went through a cycle. There wasn't a beginning or an end. You would uh, come to the end of one cycle, everything would be renewed and you'd start again. Palingenesia. And that's the word that Jesus uses when he talks about the end times. But what he was saying is that it's not a cycle. It's not something that just keeps on going. It is a once for all, and it's coming when I return. I will regenerate everything. It is something yet to happen, 
but the power of it comes into our lives today. So what does new birth do? Well, transformation, it changes us. It's emphasised as water and spirit. And we could compare that to Ezekiel 36, where the spirit is the water in the desert, the streams in the desert. And to enter the kingdom, you need spirit and more spirit, because the water has often been pointed towards baptism. Keller argues it's actually about the spirit, the same as it is in Ezekiel. So we need spirit and more spirit. A double portion, perhaps, a bit like Elisha asked of Elijah. And what happens is uh, two things are manifest, two things happen. Firstly, you have a new sensibility, a spiritual sense of the world around us, which is heightened. An illumined mind and a sensitive body, the eyes, the ears, can perceive things in new ways. And the physicality of the charismatic experience. I don't know about anybody here who may have been touched by the Holy Spirit and in doing so may have had a physical manifestation of that. To some extent, tongues is a physical manifestation of the presence of the Spirit because the Spirit takes hold of our tongue and makes the noises. It's a precognitive language. We, we don't kind of think in English and convert into tongues. It's just laid there for us by the Spirit. And so there's a physicality. Our bodies get involved in this experience. And so our senses get changed by the presence of the Spirit and the new birth. Open souls are ready to receive spiritual realities in a new way. Keller quotes Archibald Alexander, the soul that sees, that gets spiritual sight, that may uh, have not discerned it before, it now discerns in the truth of God a beauty and an excellence of which he had no conception until now. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That the world just looks different. St Augustine would say that the mark of a truly born again and truly regenerated Christian is the loves of your heart are being reordered. And Tim Keller describes elsewhere sin as disordered loves. Disordered loves. Being born again allows the spirit working on our mind, on our body and our soul to become more ordered, in other words, directed towards God and his will and love for us. He tells the story of a senior minister who'd been to a church um, and uh, he grew up in the church and he hadn't really, in his own phrase, heard the gospel. He was brought to a new commitment by his service chaplain. And in this newfound faith, it left him with questions. And he asked the chaplain, why did Luther not get the gospel? I read a book of his on the book of Galatians and Luther didn't understand the gospel. The chaplain advised him to read it again. Now he was born again. It was on every page, he said. The minister's conclusion was sobering and ties in with Mick's question at Revival Prayer. Because he quotes him as saying, Right now there are young men and young women growing up in my church under my preaching and they're not hearing the gospel. Because you have to be born again to even see the kingdom of God. Being born again matters. 
So for me, it's not just a case of standing out there and preaching what I think is the gospel. The hearts of those and the ears of those and the minds of those who I'm preaching to need to be able to receive it. The second thing that happens is a, is a new identity. Babies are born into families, he says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Any guesses where that's a quote from? John 1. Well done. Well, John 1, 12, uh, 12 to 13. Um, so John starts his gospel by saying that we are adopted as children of God. And then, a couple of chapters later, we have this discussion with Nicodemus saying you need to be born again. So this new identity has been born into this family, the family of God. Not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God, it says in John 1. Your identity is a sense of self and a sense of worth. It's not rooted in the law, in relationships, and career, in serving others, but in Christ. Being a son or daughter of God, your identity is received, not achieved. And again, it tells a story of somebody who said they went through five identities, five ways in which they related to God or didn't relate to God in, in one of them. But we receive our identity from Christ by the blessing of being born again. Western ideas of identity means that we get to choose, but the options are flexible, changeable and unstable. It could be related to our work or our health or our looks or our relationships sex etc 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 true identity is in the unchangeable love of god and in the eternal inheritance we have as sons and daughters of god and that takes the pressure off we put pressure on ourselves when we have to choose or we're told we can choose our identity that pressure is taken off when we realize that we receive that identity from god we don't need to strive to find our identity. We receive it as grace. You may have come across uh, the cycle of grace and the cycle of grief. They use it in the, in the uh, Growing Leaders course, for example. And with the cycle of grief, we, we try and get acceptance by doing things for other people. Whereas the cycle of grace starts with the acceptance of God, from the affirmation of God. So how does this new birth come? Well, it's by what God does, making our hearts open to receive, convicting us of our sinfulness. But is it just saying sorry? Because we talk about repentance, don't we? And we have this act of repentance that takes place in the service. You know, we, can, we make a corporate confession and then we receive a corporate absolution for what has been said. I remember somebody once said to me, I don't like this confession because it says we, and I can't confess for other people. I can only confess for myself. Their true repentance is, and this I quote, I not only repent for all the bad things I've done, I repent for all the bad reasons I did all the good things. 
Let me say that again. I not only repent for all the bad things I've done, I repent for all the bad reasons I did good things. All the good things I've done, I've been doing to control you or to feel good about myself or to get other people to look at me. I've done bad things and even the good things I've done for bad reasons and therefore I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm totally spiritually bankrupt. I admit my total absolute helplessness, moral bankruptcy and need for sheer grace. That's the repentance. And then there's faith. This is, as John would say, hard teaching. But it's true. That there's a bit of us that doesn't want to lose control. And we might do things which are the right things to do, but for the wrong reasons. And it might be for any of those which were mentioned there. To control God, to control a situation, for other people to say, well, well done, haven't you done well? doesn't make the good thing a bad thing, but it makes our motivations separate us from God. And when we talk about submission, it's that type of repentance prayer. But the rewards of truly meaning that type of repentance prayer are new birth. And not only seeing the kingdom of God, but entering the kingdom of God. In the text, Jesus makes reference to Numbers 21, 4-9, where the Israelites are being punished by a plague of snakes for disobedience. They are desperate, and Moses holds up a staff representing the snakes, which represents their sin. And all they have to do is look. And one of the reasons that's all that was required of them is that they were so desperate they couldn't move. They were so covered in snake bites. They were completely incapacitated. So the only thing they could have done was to look up. And that's a picture of repentance. We need faith just to look at Jesus and say, you are all I need. I have nothing left. Look at the one who delivers. Like a mother in childbirth, taking all the pain, doing all the work, but doing it joyfully for the result. That comes from John 16. A quote from Tim Keller. The baby does nothing in childbirth. The mum does all the work. <laughs> They just pop out. We look to the cross and believe not only that it's true, but that it works for our eternal salvation. Now, all of that is by way of backdrop to the most famous phrase in the Bible, which we've had this evening, verse 16. God loved the world in this way. He gave his son that we would not perish but have eternal life. And our part? Believe. Believe. He's done everything else. Truly believe. Look and see and believe. So how can we tell that we are born again? We'll change. You see a tree by its fruit, says there somewhere in the Bible. We look to John 19. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea ask for Jesus' body. And we think, oh, yeah, that's, that kind of sort that ties up that loose end, doesn't it? Well, 
you think about it, he was a criminal. He was a head of an underground movement, Jesus. He had been crucified. He'd been killed in the most public and humiliating way. Who would be associated with this man in his death? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was on the council. He was a leader. He was a man. And he was doing work which was reserved for the women. It is the most masculine and feminine thing he could have done. It showed courage and it showed tenderness. And remember, this is the man that came to Jesus at night time because he couldn't be seen going to visit him. 16 chapters later, he's asking for the body publicly. To be born again means that we have given ourselves to Jesus fully. We do not seek to establish our identity or sort our lives. We trust in the Lord and he will bring change. So what might this mean for us as a church? Well, in uh, Gavin and Anne Calver's book, Unleashed, which was, if you followed Spring Harvest last year, was uh, the book that uh, sort of covered the talks they were doing there. They quote A.W. Tozer, The spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. So when we ask that first question, who is who is new birth for everyone it is absolutely everyone he then in the book goes on and that's um gavin calver goes on to share a prophetic picture that he received while out running one morning about five years ago and this is a praise of that my child i am raising up an army whose weapons are my word and spirit I'm sharpening my people. I'm sharpening the tools in their hands so that the truth can cut deep into the hearts of many. My royal priesthood and my holy nation are being set apart. I'm setting their faces like flint to walk into the darkness. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I'm raising up an army. I am an army prepared to lay down the ways of the world and follow the way of the Spirit. Together with pictures of a man sharpening swords, a child and a procession of people carrying torches in the darkness. Now this is a picture of the kingdom. And we can only see that by being born again. This is a picture of the kingdom. We can only enter by being born of the water and the Spirit. We as a church, each and every member of Christ Church, needs to be born again. That means repentance, not just of the things we've done, but the self-motivated reasons by which we've done them. We need to believe, we need to look to the cross, read the scriptures and truly believe all that he has done for us as revealed in his word. And we need to ask, Lord, I offer you my life. This is one of the songs that we have coming in a moment. I cannot save myself. It is one of the songs we've just sung. I want to be born again. Over to you guys to write a new one. (laughs) And then we need to receive. 
by being born again, we need to receive those new senses to see the world differently. We need to receive that new identity in Christ. We need to receive that new birth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's such a simple phrase. You must be born again to see my kingdom. But it's a complicated thing to seek. There's so much of this world we need to give away or lay down to be born again. But there is so much of heaven that we can receive. Lord, I believe this is a word for this church. And not how that phrase is perceived by the world or even within the church, but what it tells us in your word. That we need to be born again. Come Holy Spirit and help us with that true repentance that will open the door. Help us to focus our eyes on the cross just like your people had to focus on that snake and be saved. And Lord, I pray not just for those who are here and have come out this evening, but for each and every one who was there this morning, come to our events, is on our lists and hasn't been to anything for years. And we just pray, come Holy Spirit, strengthen us, fill us, bring us down to that place where we can truly repent that you will fill that with new birth. That we can truly sense the world in a new way. We can truly receive that family relationship where we become sons and daughters of God. Come Holy Spirit. We pray this for the sake of your son who died for us. Your one and only son whom you gave that we might have eternal life. And all you ask is that we believe. Amen. Amen. Can we just take a moment just of reflection, just of just in silence, just to think about those words. And we're not in church, we don't have a cross on the wall, but just imagine, if, if you need one, just imagine there's one there. To look to Jesus' face on the cross.
as he died for us. God might be saying this repentance is not about guilt, it's not about beating ourselves up. It's actually about recognition. Nothing is born of guilt but more guilt. But it's an honesty with ourselves and with God. And he will forgive and he will bring about the new birth.